From the campuses of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia, this is Religion for Life. I'm John Schock. I am currently the minister at First Presbyterian Church in Elizabethton, Tennessee. However, I'm going to be moving at the end of 2014. And since I've made the announcement that I've been leaving, people have been asking me to where and why and will Religion for Life continue? Well, the why is because it is time. Ministers come and go. It's been a good run, an excellent run in the Tri-Cities. As to where, I will announce that in the near future. As to whether Religion for Life will continue, the answer is, I hope. It depends upon whether or not I can find a radio station that will allow me to produce the show where I am going. And if I do succeed with that, I hope that the stations that broadcast the show will continue to do so. And I think I think they will. I've been given a good word about that. So there are some unknowns, but I'll keep hope alive. I have very much enjoyed my work in the Tri-Cities and the deep friendships that I've made here. These friendships have been made with people all over the country, all over the world, really. I blog at Shuck and Jive, and one of my blogging friends is today's guest. She blogs at Gaia Rising. Her name is Sea Raven, and our paths crossed because we share many theological interests. She completed her Doctor of Ministry degree at the University of Creation Spirituality with Matthew Fox. She is an associate member of the Jesus Seminar, And she's written a series of commentaries on the lectionary from a progressive perspective. They are called collectively Theology from Exile. Matthew and Luke have been published, and the latest out in October 2014 is Theology from Exile, the Gospel of Mark. To talk about her work is C. Raven. Welcome to Religion for Life. Well, thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Well, tell us a little bit, first of all, about yourself and and how it is you came by your interesting theological perspectives. Uh, Well, it's it's a bit of a long story, which I'll make short, but um, um, basically I started out as a United Methodist as a child, and then when I moved to Washington, D.C., after after graduating from Albion College, um, I got involved in the... Uh, I got involved in the United Church of Christ much later, um, in the early 80s. And um, so that really was what kind of set me off on this particular theological journey because um, I was a, a member of a church that was a combined, still is, it's called the United Church in downtown Washington. It's a, it's a combined Methodist and United Church of Christ church and the first full-time minister we had who was from the UCC was Michael Morse. And um, he really got me involved in social action um, with the United Church of Christ. And that kind of led to feminist theology. And then um, I went myself on a journey to Nicaragua in the early, in the mid-80s. And then Mike and I both went to El Salvador. So I got into liberation theology, and then in the 90s, uh, let's see, when was that? It was the late 90s. Matthew Fox um, uh, started a University of Creation Spirituality, and I got a Doctor of Ministry from Matt Fox in Creation Spirituality, and then um, and then along the way, uh, in the late 90s, uh, Mike and I both got really caught up in the Jesus Seminar uh, work 
and we both became um, associate members of Westar Institute, and so that kind of put the cap on it for me, <laughs> because um, we we started reading um, John Nauman and Crossan and Marcus Borg and um, other, and then really started following the uh, the work of the Jesus Seminar and the Paul Seminar and all that. So. So it's been quite a journey. Now, this book that you've uh, produced, uh, the third of three, Theology from Exile, Volume 3, The Year of Mark, is a commentary uh, on the lectionary readings. Now, for those folks who don't know what the lectionary is, can you give us a a brief rundown on what is the lectionary? Right. It's it's the revised common lectionary, which um, was actually produced in uh, 19—I think the last— edition of it was 1992, and it's based on the Revised Standard Version of the Bible, and it's an ecumenical um, project that includes Catholics and uh, mainline Protestant churches, and what it is, is um, it's a guide for scripture readings for mostly Sunday morning. The Christian year starts actually in Advent, which is um, around December 1st, and so the readings then every year start on December 1st, and there are three years. The first year is actually the year of Matthew. The second year is the year of Mark. And the third year is uh, the year of Luke. Basically, the those three years then, um, your readings are based on those particular Gospels. And then they have the uh, Old Testament readings and a psalm and and an epistle reading that go along uh, with the Gospel, but the Gospel kind of defines what those other texts will be sometimes. What happens is that with the the Common Lectionary, there are two sets of readings. Um, There's a a main reading, and then there's a, a... an alternative set of readings, and they don't necessarily coincide. And in fact, some of the some of the readings that are um, that are suggested for for the day, not the alternative, but the major ones, some of those don't make any sense either, as far as trying to hang them together. I have this shorthand term that I use throughout this series, um, which I got from my from my friend Mike, who's now retired United Church of Christ minister, but he. He used to say that the that putting trying to make sense out of the Revised Common Lectionary, you know, it must have been put together by drunken elves. A lot of it just doesn't hang <laughs> as far as theme is concerned. So that's where this this um, kind of shorthand term that I use comes in. That's, um, that's the term of the elves. The elves are the ones who uh, you you yeah. call as creating the lectionary. Right, but I have to be careful, you know, because I don't want. I mean. As I say in my in, in each one of the introductions, I'm very careful to point out that putting together a lectionary that's going to be used by Catholics, Protestants, and everybody else is a tremendous work. And so I don't mean to, you know, denigrate the people who put it together, but... Right, but we can deconstruct it. In fact, you know, for those of us who have been in the preaching business, particularly in mainline and Catholic churches, uh, there are many lectionary guides and commentaries, and I myself followed the lectionary for about 10 years, and I, I no longer do, as I find it to be theologically problematic for me. And and your guide right. is interesting in that you uh, deconstruct the theology of the lectionary as you provide a commentary on it. Uh, tell us about your goal uh, for this series on this lectionary guide. Uh, how did 
did Theology from Exile come to be? The, the concept of Theology from Exile, actually, I got from um, uh, John Shelby Spong, um, because he talks in, the, in his book, uh, How Christianity Must Change or Die. He talks about Christians who are really um, cut off, are really kind of in exile from the, from the um, Orthodox theology or the usual traditional theology of the Church, and yet we are still drawn to um, Jesus' message and and what Jesus was teaching us about how to how to live together on the planet. And so that's kind of where the theology from exile idea came from. I started this as a blog series. What I would do is is look at the reading for a particular Sunday and try to make sense of it and try to see if it would hang together and then I would look at um at the theology that the or the Christology both behind the um the gospel reading, and then how, and then how does, how does the Old Testament speak to that? And and usually it does, um, but not in ways that traditional Christian theology has taught us. It's not what we learned in Sunday school, for example. So this uh, this lectionary thing, do you, do you lead worship or preach, or how, how have you interacted uh, with the lectionary, uh, and how did you get it to decide to, to, you know, do a series of books on it? Uh, I was reading commentaries that were put forward, um, oh, by writers in, for example, Sojourner's Magazine, or by writers of the Christian Century, and I began to notice that they were not using the latest scholarship that I had been reading, mm-hmm. um, specifically from uh, John Dominic Crossan and Borg and, um, and the uh, West Star Institute scholars. And so I began to ask the question, well, wait a minute, what does this really mean here? And the more I got into it, the more I began to kind of deconstruct the tradition. I will occasionally preach at, at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Frederick, Maryland, which is where I'm a member now, and what I'll do is I'll look and see what what the lectionary is doing, and then for that particular Sunday, and then I'll look and see what my commentary is, and and I, so I'm using it both as a kind of a way of of letting Unitarians and non Christians know that this is uh, this is relevant stuff, especially still speaks to our own need for justice. You know, we uh, and, and I would. That's why I recommend this this volume, these three volumes, uh, to uh, worship leaders and preachers and teachers who use the lectionary because this is an important commentary uh, because it does include the scholarship of West Star Institute and of of justice and liberation theologians, and you keep a, a conversation uh, going with that. In fact, in part of that conversation. Uh, that you mentioned throughout uh, this volume and the other volumes are four questions uh, that Christianity should address if it is going to change and survive. And and I was wondering if we might spend a little bit of time uh, talking about those four questions, maybe how you came up with them. Uh, the first one was, what's the nature of God, violent or nonviolent? That's the first question. Um, and so my question to you is, is, what do you mean by God being violent or nonviolent? What, uh, tell me a little bit about that. Okay. Well, I'd also would like to point out that these four questions are not just for Christians. These, you know, the, and these volumes are, uh, this commentary is not just for Christians. But my point here is that 
um, so often Christians have have defined God as being violent, as being um, interested in retribution and payback. And um, and so the question that we have, specifically, especially for Christians, is well, what is the nature of God? Is God is God really violent and and making a like what traditionally called the Old Testament God, which is absolutely not <laughs> the case. I mean, God is both violent and nonviolent throughout the Bible. And so, what we need, what I think we need to do as a society, and specifically Christians, but but Muslims as well and Jews as well, you know, what is what is God doing on the planet? Is God interested in in nonviolent um, justice and what I would call distributive justice? That means you're not looking for payback. You're looking for reconciliation. You're looking for for peace. The way that question is answered is going to determine how society governs itself. So if we basically see God as a as demanding retribution and demanding um, payback. I mean, look at our justice system in the West. It's all based on retribution and and payback, and much of it is violent. And so, because tradition or you know historically, Western Western civilization has gone down this path with a violent God. But I'm proposing that especially with the progressive liberal side of Christianity or religion is going to come up with nonviolence. You look at people like Gandhi and Martin Luther King and um, and others who are looking at, at how can we create a society of nonviolence. Yeah, of course, you know, as we think about what we talk about when we say the word God, we're talking about human constructs, we're talking about the challenge of reading texts in which you have a literary character or a theological construction that's called God, and then you kind of have what we might say is, is perhaps a reality, or, or what it is that we want to be, in a sense, uh, uh, we create God in our image as much as vice versa. Right. Uh, now, the second question you have is, what's the nature of Jesus' message, inclusive or exclusive? Uh, how would that question uh, shape the churches, uh, or non-Christians, as well as the uh, shape their message and their actions? What I, did, what I discovered very early on is that, is that the, the Revised Common Lectionary readings are set up to, um, to emphasize or the, the idea that Jesus' message is very much exclusive. Exclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to be a Christian, traditionally, you must believe in. Uh, well, look at the look at the creed. <laughs> you know, I believe in God, the right. Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. All that you know, and and so is Jesus. So the so the demand has been that in order to be a Christian, you must believe these. You must believe this, and if you don't. Then not only are you not allowed to be a Christian, but you're not traditionally you're thought to go to hell. So that's pretty exclusive. We've got a whole civilizations that have been destroyed out of this idea that Jesus had an exclusive message. So for us today in the 21st century, you know, if, if Christianity is going to is going to have any, um, I think, any impact on the planet that is positive, we've got to realize that Jesus was not exclusive at all, that Jesus' message is inclusive. 
to the extent that anyone, as I propose in these three volumes, anyone, whether you believe in Jesus' story or not, anyone who participates in what I call the great work of distributive justice compassion, anyone who's working to bring about justice and peace on the planet is part of of the work that Jesus was talking about. If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, my guest is C. Raven. She uh, has a website called Gaia Rising, G-A-I-A R-I-S-I-N-G, and is the author of three volumes of lectionary commentaries. The latest, which is published in October 2014, is Theology from Exile, Volume 3, The Year of Mark. She's also done The Year of Matthew and The Year of Luke. And four questions uh, guide this study. Um, what's the nature of God, violent or nonviolent? What's the nature of Jesus's message, inclusive or exclusive? What is faith? Is it literal belief or trust or commitment to the great work of distributive justice and compassion? And what is deliverance? Is it salvation from hell or liberation from injustice? Very, and that really represents a shift uh, as uh, progressive theology and, and Western thought is coming of age in the 21st century. So what is uh, the lectionary's view on these four questions? The lectionary really points to a violent, um, exclusive message. The, the demand of faith is belief, and the, the fourth question um, um, has more to do with saving people's souls or from hell in the next life rather than um, paying attention to uh, liberation from injustice in this life. And I, I, that's my quarrel, really, with the Revised Common Lectionary in the mm-hmm. way that it... Yeah, that's, I, I think the lectionary does that very much so, which is why we have to be very... Um, careful, I think, as preachers, and especially, um, especially now, um, when there's so much fundamentalism on the rise, and we need to counteract that. And so, if we're going to use, we can use the lectionary absolutely because it's a it's a really good shortcut for looking at the Bible. But we need to do it with our eyes wide open. Uh, one of the uh, two terms that you use uh, in the book, you contrast them, uh, empire and covenant. Uh, can you explain those? Okay, well, covenant, covenant is, a, um, is a very, very ancient idea. Um, and as Christians, of course, we learn this from the Old Testament, um, from the Jewish tradition, that God made a covenant very early on um, with humanity. And God's covenant is, um, so long as we follow God's, God's rule, um, then the covenant is solid. And what God's rule means, God's rule is justice. And it's actually, it's justice, compassion. If you look at any of the major stories in the Old Testament, even though there's a lot of blood and gore, in the end, God always comes back to the one who has acted with justice, compassion. And so that's what the covenant is, is about. And if, and if you're living in covenant, you're doing your best to live a nonviolent um, life that is grounded in justice, compassion. So empire, on the other hand, I got this term from John Dominic Crossan. And empire is what happens when you don't live in uh with justice, compassion, when you don't 
when you're living out of that retributive, um, punishing payback model. And the bigger the society gets, the more uh, rules you need to have in order to kind of keep order and peace. And the next thing you know, you've created systems that end up excluding people. So that, and so that, that system of exclusion or that system of, uh, that, that civilizations so often come up with, that is empire. Yeah, you are taking with these books, uh, these lectionary guides, really a modern progressive. Well, and it's modern in a sense, but it's also very ancient because it's within the texts themselves of of reading against the grain at times to look for the liberating uh, justice, human flourishing type of message within our tradition itself, and right. taking that over against. Uh, itself in some ways, especially as it's been lodged in a pre-modern uh, kind of supersessionist, literalistic type of framework. Right. So, so tell, can you talk about some, some of the specific uh, problems that, uh, of the lectionary that, uh, that you've uh, run into as you've, as you've kind of done this work? Um, what are some of the shortcomings and, and what are some of the uh, uh, alternatives that you provide? One of the huge problems with the lectionary and with its with its kind of collectiveness is um, is you end up with a lot of anti-Semitism if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to slip into anti-Semitic ideas, um, especially with the Gospel of John, um, which comes up mostly in the year of Mark because uh, Mark is such a short gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's not a there's not enough material to last for a whole year, so we end up doing a lot of Gospel of John. John's Gospel is the one that that really ends up being interpreted as being very much anti-Jewish. I mean, all through it, the, the Jews are accused of having killed Jesus, which of course is absolutely not what happened. It was the Romans who killed Jesus. Um, but nevertheless, it's very hard sometimes to read those. Um, and not kind of get pulled down that path into into anti-Jewish uh, sentiments. Right. I find it also to be kind of just well, just supernaturalistic. It starts with this advent, and it goes through all of these, all of these basic days that are more fictional than you know historical. <laughs> from Advent all the way to Christ the King. Uh, I wanted to ask you one more question here. Would you say that the Gospels are liberating and present a nonviolent God, an inclusive Jesus, and an ethic of distributive justice and liberation from injustice, or are the Gospels already far along the path uh, toward empire itself? We have to realize that the Gospels were, were um, written by um, Jewish, Jewish people in their time. So, for example, the Gospel of Mark, which is the first one we know about, was written probably in the 60s of, uh, of the Common Era, right after the fall of Jerusalem. And so Mark then is going to have a particular take on, on the traditional ideas that he has about who Jesus was and what he said and what the story meant. So... Um, this is where scholarship is really so important, especially the scholarship of the Jesus Seminar, um, which has gone back and and done their best to ferret out um, the difference between what Jesus might have actually said and what the interpretation of the early gospel writer is. So that's 
so I, you can't really say definitively that the Gospels support or do not support empire. <laughs> It's not a it's not a black and white question at all. Right, right. Well, we just have about a minute left, and since you started this project and where you are now today, having finished these three volumes, how has your mind changed? What have you learned? What's what's become more urgent for you? I think the most urgent the most urgent thing for me is that Christians, um, progressive Christians, need to find our voice, and we need to start um, teaching and putting out the fact that so far as scholarship can tell us, Jesus was not, uh, was not the, um, the, the story of Jesus is not what matters. What matters is what Jesus really had to, had to say. And his message was about justice, and that is distributive justice or restorative justice, and justice, compassion, um, and peace, and not, um, not the, um, the, the warmongering that you hear so much on, on the violence. And, and so many times as I've talked to people who are non-Christians who just, they just look at me and they say, well, I don't believe a word you say because Christians, Christians are violent, exclusive. They believe all this junk and, and they don't care about what goes on on the planet today. And I'm saying, I'm saying what we need to do as progressive Christians is go back to our tradition go back, use the common lectionary, and go back with our eyes wide open and begin to let people know who Jesus really was. And that, it, and that you don't have to be a Christian in order to be saved because salvation means liberation from injustice now. What happens after this life will take care of itself. C. Raven has been my guest on Religion for Life. She's the author of Theology from Exile, uh, Volumes 1, 2, and 3, the years of uh, Matthew, Luke, and this latest one is the year of Mark. A great service uh, to the church as well as to believers in exile as well as to people of all types of religious traditions. Uh, Thank you for this work and for being with me today on Religion for Life. Well, thanks a lot, John. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. You've been listening to Religion for Life at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. You can find more information about Religion for Life, including links to podcasts, including a link to a podcast of this show, at religionforlife.com. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. You can catch us on iTunes, hear us on the phone. You can just hear us about any way possible. Religion for Life is co-produced by... WEHC in Emory, Virginia, and WETS in Johnson City, Tennessee. Be well.